0: Thanks for tuning in. I'm Ben Aston, and this is the Digital Project Manager podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Clarizen, the leader in enterprise project and portfolio management software. Visit clarizen.com to learn more. We spend a lot of time talking about project initiation, about kicking off projects and how we can make them sing right from the start. But finishing projects can actually be just as much of a challenge. Because at the start of a project, everyone's interested in it, everyone's excited about it, everyone's buzzed, but by the end, actually, everyone kind of tends to be a bit bored of it and isn't really that bothered about it anymore. And if we're not careful, we can get sloppy and lazy. We can stop caring, our team stops caring, and then the client just keeps on asking for more and more. So if we don't end our projects right, we can end up missing things. We can end up going over budget, pissing off our team, pissing off the client, and not learning from the project at all, so we can lose a lot of value just because we take our foot off the gas right at the end. Today, I'm talking to Patrice, and we're going to talk about how we can end projects better. We're going to talk through a checklist of what to do and what not to do that will enable you to end your projects well with some momentum and set yourself up for success on your next project too. So hi, Patrice.
1: Hello. (sighs) Hello.
0: So it's been all of a couple of weeks since we last spoke, but is there anything, tell us about, in fact, I know what's exciting that's recently happened to you, you've just been on your road trip adventure. Would you recommend road trips?
1: I would recommend road trips to people who enjoy driving and like looking <laughs> at, at the same thing for a while if you're going to pass through some. Some of the bigger states. But yeah, we we drove from uh, where I live outside of Philadelphia to Colorado Springs. We drove through Pennsylvania, through Ohio, Indiana. We shot up to Chicago real quick for for dinner, went to Iowa, uh, ate lunch in Nebraska, drove all the way across South Dakota. Stayed a night in Wyoming and went down into Colorado and uh, flew back because after that much driving, nobody ever wants to see a car again. I don't really think I've left the house much since we got back last Friday.
0: <laughs> Good stuff. So tell us, though, in all that time, were, were there any funny incidents that happened? What was the funniest thing that happened along along the way? Something, something funny or disastrous so- must have <laughs> happened.
1: Well, it's funny and disastrous. Yes, Um, we so one of the things we really wanted to the reason why we went up as far north as we did into South Dakota was to see Mount Rushmore and Crazy Horse. They're very close to each other. Wonderful monuments, things people aspire to see on a bucket list when you're you know when you grow up in the U.S. And the the day that the only day that we had to do that. It was a complete and total fog whiteout. You could see nothing, (laughs) literally nothing. (laughs) Like it wasn't even like, oh, you could see like the shape of it, but you can't really make everything out. You literally couldn't see any of it. So we drove to them anyway. On the off chance that maybe the fog would lift, did not. So uh, it remains on the bucket list, and I don't know if we're ever going to do that again. So it just it might not be in the cards for me. That is the worst,
0: isn't it? When you make a special make a make a special plan, and it's a disaster. Um, That's disappointing. So
1: they have nice gift shops, though. Oh, so
0: bonus, (laughs) bonus. Yeah, yeah. Um, So cool. So tell us. So now you're back from your epic road trip. What? Yeah, what what are your kind of projects you're working on at the moment? What's carrying you? What's carrying you through the summer?
1: Well, I've got a little bit of a light load through the summer. Actually, I just finished something that was long term, you know, a two two year plus contract, uh, and I'm a freelancer, so that's a really long time. Um, and uh, I've got a little bit of a lighter load for the summer, which is fantastic because I'm I'm you know. It was a it was a rough few months there um, closing stuff up. So uh, I've got a couple of things that I'm going to keep working on for some maintenance stuff for uh, some of my nonprofit clients. And then I'm going to see where, you know, everything takes me. Uh, I got a couple irons in the fire and we'll see what comes up. But I'd be totally fine if I, you know, were just as I am now for the rest of the summer. So we'll see.
0: So if you want a kick-ass remote PM for September... <laughs> <laughs> Patrice, Patrice is open for offers, but you know I do. You have got um, something coming up in September, so I know you're speaking at the Digital PM Summit. Um, now I've never been to it, but t- for those who haven't been to the Digital PM Summit, tell us what it's about.
1: So it's it's basically getting to see all the people that you would love to meet in real life if you could, because they know all of your struggles, <laughs> all of your pain. It's like reading any of the articles that you read on your site, Ben, because you can really relate to literally everything that's happening in the conference you can relate to. There's lots of conferences where you basically go and you're like, okay, these four things apply to what I do. You know, if it's a technology conference or a leadership conference, it doesn't always directly apply to you, you know, part and parcel, but this, this does, it's nice to be able to meet people, Um, I'm interested in meeting a lot of the folks that I've met through Slack, your Slack channel, um, because some of those folks will be going. I'm really looking forward to seeing them in person. Uh, So um, it it should be a good time. I'm doing a very short talk on project retrospectives. um, And it's just, you know, sort of a trial run to see if I can speak in front of people without having like full body hives. So we'll see how it goes.
0: (laughs) and will you be wearing your customary pajamas
1: I probably will be yeah (laughs) we'll see how that goes I might be wearing a turtleneck just to like cover because I really do I I break out into hives when I get in like stressful situations I'm really good at at handling it in front of clients but this will be a whole nother level we'll see how it goes
0: yeah in person live it's uh (laughs) it doesn't get scarier than that Cool. So, and so if you um, are thinking about going to the Digital PM Summit and you haven't yet, I haven't booked yet, well, Patrice has got an offer for you, have you not, Patrice?
1: I sure do. If you use my first name, Patrice, P A T R I C E, at checkout, you get a hundred bucks off. And it's in Memphis. So, you know, that hundred dollars is going to buy you a lot of fantastic <laughs> barbecue
0: yeah so and it's in the beginning of september isn't it yes is it september the sixth
1: or something uh yes yeah. anyway,
0: yep beginning of september so if you uh if you like patrice and you want <laughs> to meet her in the flesh and listen to her lightning talk on project retrospectives as long as a whole load of other interesting talks um then head to uh the digital pm summit site which i think is bureau of I love the way that you say P-A-T-R-I-C-E uh, for, for, your, for your $100 off. And, um, yeah, and you will get to see Patrice as well as a few other DPM favorites who are heading uh, over there. I think, I think we've got some other people um, talking there as well who make appearances on the DPM site. We've, there's also, um, yeah, Suze Hayworth is uh, giving a talk. Um, Who else have we got? He's giving a talk. I'm just just browsing through here. Kelly Suter as well. So there's some good peeps. Good peeps going. Uh, So check it out. Um, Cool. Well, let's talk about uh, the article uh, that you wrote for us, which wasn't about project retrospectives, but it was about, as I alluded to in the intro, about project closure, about how we can close projects better. And I think Projects can totally unravel in that last stretch, as I said at the beginning. As we we just take our foot off the gas because we think we're there, we think we've done it, but somehow that final like two percent of the project can just seem to last for weeks and weeks and weeks, and it can be really hard to actually get it a project actually done. So let's talk about how we can do this better, how we can stop our projects slipping away from us at the last minute, creating this world of pain for ourselves, for our team, for our clients. Um, how do we how do we how do we do that? So let's talk about like the realities though of ending projects. Um when we get to the end of the project, uh putting in effort is the kind of the last <laughs> the last thing that we want to do. We've kind of got other projects on the horizon. Um so what's your kind of how do you stay engaged in a project when it's right at the finish line? When to be honest you've kind of lost interest in it and everyone else has lost interest in it what's your kind of motivation where where do you, where do you, where do you draw that motivation from
1: um, I basically, for myself and everyone who's on the team, I'll say, "Look, this is literally the last thing we have to do, and then we can totally never talk about this again, <laughs> or we can talk about how great this was the next time, you know, depending on how the the project went." But it's just reminding everyone that there's just a small amount of work to be done at the end. A lot of it is, you know, for the project manager to do. So you really only have to motivate yourself for a lot of it, and uh, mm-hmm. and you can get yourself. Uh, into a good spot knowing that the line item on your timesheet for this project can finally be removed
0: yeah i think that i mean that's that's a a motivation in itself isn't it i mean yeah. it's one less, <laughs> it it's one less thing to have to <laughs> to uh to add to your timesheets um but you kind of covered this off at the end um, and let's kind of start with it like the often at the end of the project the reason one of the reasons that we kind of become disengaged from it, is because it is almost over, we've kind of run out a budget for the project, and so we don't really want to put much time on it. Um, so what do you do? What's kind of your, what's your way of, uh, I mean, we need to do it properly, but if we don't have the budget to do it, what's kind of your approach for, for trying to find a way to, to end it properly when there's no budget or time allocated for it.
1: Well, when you look at all the different things that you need to do to close a project and you don't have a lot of time or budget you know, to, to be doing everything on there, you just have to dis- decide for each project what's the most important thing. If it was a really big, complicated project with a client that changed their mind a lot, Um, one of the things you're going to want to make sure that you do is go through plans and timelines um, for anything you might have missed. Look at your notes, the the first couple of things that I mentioned in the checklist, because that's really where you're going to get strung up later on if your client goes back and says, didn't we say we were going to do this and whatever happened to that? You want to be prepared, even if there's no more budget and you wouldn't be able to do it even if you found it. You want to find it before they do and raise the flag. So if there's no more budget for it, you at least need to talk to someone to say, like, well, how are we gonna handle this one? Um so I would say that if you've got limited time, limited budget, figure out the most important things uh, you know, to to do, uh, and just do those. But it's it's a good practice to to try to do all of the things uh on the list.
0: Yeah. So yeah, so let's talk about I mean though that thing that you in, in your checklist, there's there's nine items on it. And we're not going to go through every one of them because you could just read the article. But uh, you talk about, yeah, going over the, the plan and the timeline uh, and then it kind of, I guess, in concert with that, the, the second item is, you know, scaring your notes and messages to track down these out-of-scope or these parking lot items um, so that you get this, uh, I guess, an insight into what we said we'd be doing versus what we've actually delivered. And I guess trying to identify, you know, where there's some risk in the client being able to turn around and say, hey, uh, we said we'd have a contact form on this page and it's not there. Um, So kind of trying to get ahead of that. But so what's your kind of how do you kind of typically log, log all those things that you found or how do you keep track of those things and then manage that process of explaining to the client Well, uh, the the project's done, so you're not going to get them now.
1: Yeah, that's always the the tough thing. Um, You know, if if during the project, and, and I think that you've got a lot of great information on your site, uh, about how to make sure that you're capturing everything at the beginning of a project and during a project. And so, you know, if you're employing some of those things, like making sure that you're taking good notes and um, maybe even have a separate list where you're keeping some things that you know you're not going to be doing that are out of scope that once were in scope. So you're not removing them from your mind altogether even though everybody wants to do that but you're putting them off to the side and you know where they are uh, a parking lot if you will um you know or or however you keep track of things that you've decided not to do um and not just stuff that you've decided not to do things you've decided to do that might have like you said just get lost along the way so you know right. you find those yeah. things Step one is to make sure that they're really not there, and there isn't something that you can say. Well, we didn't do that because we did this, and there's a reason why we didn't do it. You know, sort of follow yeah. each one up as best as, uh, as you can. Um, you know, depending on how what your rapport is with the client, you know, you may want to say, you know, I found these things. We're definitely, you know, done the project and we've launched already um, you know, did you want to do a phase two to work these back in? Um, I'll, you know, there are clients out there that'll say like, yeah. we totally get it. We did everything. We, you know, we said, we, you know, we launched, we said we were fine. You know, there's these extra things and we should do a phase two. Some will say, well, when do you plan to, you know, do those for us and not charge us? <laughs> so, you know, it's just a matter of the, the, yeah. the biggest thing you need to take away is find them because, the worst thing is for them to find them for you, and then you're sort of already on the uh, on the hot seat. So find them first, then you can figure out what your tactic is going to be.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's solid advice. Yeah, going going through and yeah, being getting ahead of the client because well, yeah, when they when they kind of come back to you a week later when you ramp down the team and and when they say, hey, you said you were going to do this, and I think one one of the actually one of the things that I think is a, a real classic example of this is tracking. And after something goes live, um, it's, well, it's, it's usually not until something goes live and the client's beginning to see the results come through in Google Analytics, whatever that they're using. And it might be that we haven't, you know, implemented the funnel tracking properly or the tagged things like event tracking or whatever it might be. But that's kind of one of those things that's a classic example of you the clients are not going to realise until after the fact um, that it's not being that it's not being done properly. So we need to get ahead of all those things. And I think this is why status reports and keeping a log um, throughout the project of all the kind of key decisions that were made can really help in providing the I guess the ammunition you need to have that conversation with the client. Say, yeah, well, we didn't do the event tracking because do you remember we we did this other thing instead that you said was actually more important so um, so that status report and having a log of of the decisions you made can be can be a useful a useful tool when you do that absolutely um and you i mean are there are there any other kind of things i mean i've I just mentioned um tracking, but what other things do you find get missed off at the uh, at the end of a project in those kind of closing phases when uh yeah you know when, when We tend to get a bit lazy.
1: Yeah, um, it's basically anything where like, you've gotten to the end of a project and you're like, all right, we have to figure out what the MVP is, the minimum viable product, and we're only going to focus on that and we'll worry about the other stuff later. So this is the other stuff later. Um, Things like I know that uh, I got caught on a project once um, not having any alt tags on images. It was such a little thing. Um, but at the time the client didn't have them ready and, you know, we just needed to move on and, uh, I didn't, I, I did write it down, but I didn't, I didn't notice it by the time we got to the end of the project. And the client actually called it out and said that they had failed a, um, uh, an accessibility audit because yeah. they didn't have the the alt tag. So it's stuff like that. It's, it's stuff where you were like, it's alt tags. Like, we don't need to worry about it. Like, you do need to worry about it at yeah. some point. And maybe you don't need to worry about it later, but you at least need to know that it's there. So you might decide even later on that it's not a big deal, but you have to, you just at least need to know about it so you can make a better decision about it.
0: Yeah, I think, yeah. Some of the things I just thought of was, yeah con- content is a big one so yeah alt tags uh, but also like when developers have a tendency sometimes to use uh, um, like placeholder images <laughs> yeah. in the in the uh, in the layouts and I think yeah I, it, numerous times I have gone live with sites where someone had just forgotten about a page that you know everyone had got used to the cat <laughs> picture that was on that page and then you know you go live and like Hold on a second. That's not the image it's supposed to be. Uh, so yeah, be wary of uh, placeholder images and um, and dummy content as well. Like Laura Mitson looks like all through text if you're not That's reading true. properly. So uh, content, images, tracking, um, yeah, alt tags, that, those kind of things. Please, anything, anything kind of that in the QA process. QA process. I think it's really important that we. That we have a you know a, a proper plan for our QA so that those kind of things don't get missed out,
1: right? But it could but, be things more like you know we had thought we were going to use a widget for this thing, so it's not necessarily something that QA would pick up on, like alt tags mm-hmm. or the wrong images, but literal things that you you had talked about at one point where you were like, all right, well we'll take care of that later, or we can't focus on that now, and then you just never focus on it. Could be a feature. That your q a person would never even know was a thing, so they're not going to pick up on it, uh, so it's just you know you have to keep your eyes open in all directions for things
0: yeah so let's let's assume though that we've we've wrapped that up then and we're trying to we're trying to actually close the project down, and I think this is this can also be one of the tricky things as well right i mean there's there's one one side of the the coin which is oh there's still things that kind of need to be done, and then there's the other side of the coin which is we need to stop this thing because we're just we're just burning we're just burning money on the project and while the you know while that pot is still open in timesheets people will still keep logging their time on it because they can so mm. what i mean what do you do to ramp down the team and kind of shut things off and close it down and try and draw a line in the sand what what are the kind of things that you do to make that happen
1: Well, if you write a wrap up note to your team, you know, that's a really great place to say, and by the way, since this is over, there's no more billing. And if you, you know, if you have a billing system like Harvest or something that would allow you to not give them the opportunity to bill, that certainly will remind them as well. But you want to do a wrap up note to your team anyway, just to say like, hey, you know, we did a great job. If you have any client feedback, even if it's just like the client Thought the launch went smoothly, or the client was really pleased with the outcome. You know, um, anything you can pass along to the team that, that you know from the client that says that they did a good job. But just to kind of acknowledge everyone, you know, um, maybe talk about one or two things you know were hard, um, and just you mm-hmm. know keep, uh, but wrap it up. And say like it's been a pleasure working with everyone, and you know, yeah. shout out to this person for this thing, and. Um, no more billing. And then, you know, you send that out and you're kind of done uh, for, the, for the internal, for the team side until you do your retrospective, if you're able to do a retrospective.
0: Yeah. So, well, let's talk about retrospectives as this is your topic, your lightning talk topic. So don't give it all away. But one <laughs> of the things you talk about um, is uh, anonymous surveys, um, and, and we've talked about a lot of recently actually about uh, project retrospectives and I don't think anyone else has actually mentioned anonymous surveys so I'm interested in in how you how you make that work how do you what do you ask people um, how do you if it's anonymous how do you get people to answer it or do you know if they've answered it or not how Tell us about making anonymous surveys work.
1: Yeah, um, I, they've worked really well for me um, because people feel more inclined to say something um, that they might not say in person or even if it can be directly attributed to them. They'll be a little bit more candid, um, which is what you want. You want to know all the you know, the good and the bad. You need to know how it went so that you can do something better later on. You won't be able to do that if you don't have real you know, honest feedback, not just you know, lip service that you might get if you've put someone on the spot in a meeting. So I use anonymous surveys yeah. um, to just you know, I ask three questions: what went well, what didn't go well, and what should we do again. If I feel like I've got a really nicely engaged group, I might a- you know ask a few more questions. Um, but you know, if if I know that they're already waning, <laughs> kind of just um, and yeah. with the surveys, what I'll do is. Um, When I ask questions like what went well, um, you know, if you just ask an open-ended question, a lot of times people won't be inclined to do it. So what I do is I try to think of things that I think went well or I would think they think went well. And I'll add them in as a multiple choice and then there'll be a write in answer. So they can either choose something that I've already, you know, kind of put together that I know might be an issue or I know went well, um, you know, and at least I'm getting right. some feedback and not nothing at all. Um, but that might yeah. spur them to say like, yeah. yeah, but what about this other great thing that we did? And, and that'll, you know, motivate them to write in an answer. So take all that information and I synthesize it. And when I you know, give the retrospective, um, people generally can tell from what area, you know, feedback will have come. <laughs> yeah. and, um,
0: the design was awful.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I always soften it the it. Like I tell people, you can write whatever you want. I will not take what you said word for word and put it in yeah. a retrospective. I just need to know, you know, and, um, people have been really good with being honest and, you know, even their own part in why something didn't work. So, uh, the anonymous surveys have worked out really well for me.
0: Yeah, I really like the idea of pre-populating the responses um, because people, yeah, people tend to have major blanks, brain freeze, particularly actually when you're kind of sat around trying to do a retrospective on a project. And, uh, you know, I, I find that you can have everyone sitting there and you go, you know, you ask that question. So guys, what do you think went well? and um oh, well. you know, just stand silent <laughs> i guess it was all right yeah, yeah. Right. i guess the design looks all right <laughs> I mean, okay guys here are three things that i've thought of and they're like yeah that's right <laughs> and uh but yeah giving them giving them a prompt or an idea of hey how about these um i think that's i think that's really cool and i think i like anonymous as well people are much more likely to tell you what they really think and that's you know that's that is how we're going to improve isn't it if we people are honest rather than worried about upsetting the person who sat next to them when you know they still have to yeah. they you know probably still have to work with them on the next project so I think I think that's a really good idea mm-hmm. is there anything about is there anything about um, uh, anonymous surveys that has <laughs> in your experience has not gone well ever like has, has anyone somehow uncovered I mean you said you you know you you put a spin on the responses that you get. But,
1: uh, yeah um, I mean the only thing that really doesn't go well is if people decide not to um, respond and if it's truly an anonymous survey mm-hmm. you don't know who they are that didn't respond so you can't follow up with specific people yeah. and you had to bug everybody yeah. so that can be a little bit, bit of a bummer. Um, sometimes I'll do like a quasi anonymous you know so i'll know who the the user was because their email address will be you know something but i would never they trust me um not to you know out them or whatever so they they know that if i say that i'm not going to reveal who said what that i'm not going to actually do that i have their trust so um you know so if you want to do it that way so you can you know follow up with people but generally just in general, I'll only follow up once because if you got to chase mm. people down for information for a retrospective, it's not going to be, it's not going to be super useful information because yeah. they're just going the to want to, you know, get, yeah, you, you don't <laughs> want someone to be like, Ugh, whatever here, Um, you want real yeah. information. So,
0: yeah,
1: but that, that tends to be the hardest part of an anonymous survey is just, you know, not being able to follow up specifically with people to do it.
0: Yeah and so one of the other things in the checklist is you know we're having a retrospective with the team but then also asking the client for feedback too so tell us how you know do you normally do that informally or do you try a questionnaire or a survey with them as well how do you yeah how do you kind of draw that information from the from the client particularly if the project didn't go so well
1: um well yeah I, I'll generally say like, hey, it would help us out a lot if you could tell us just a little bit about this, this, and this, you know what you thought went well if is there any way that we you know anything that we should take from this to improve um, I there are some clients and some projects that have gone so poorly that you don't even want to open that door. Um, <laughs> but there are like some, really great, yeah, there's some really great projects that you know, and great partners out there. We always tend to remember the, the terrible ones, but there's plenty of great ones out there too. So um, if you've got a good rapport with your client, you can say, hey, it would really help me out if you did this, this, and this. And, and they tend to want to respond in writing so they can think it through rather than mm, talk it through. Yeah but whatever they're most comfortable with, if they're able to give you even just a little bit of information, it's good information to have because you could decide what went well and what didn't well all you want. And it could be great internally, but if that didn't translate into something that the client thought was good, then it doesn't like how valuable is it? So getting even just a little bit of client feedback is definitely helpful to make sure that you know what to do next time.
0: Yeah. And I think it can sometimes be helpful as well. Um, yeah it can sometimes be awkward if we are just asking clients for feedback at the end of the project and the end of the process particularly if it's bad um oh, totally. we, we can also if, if it's part of our ongoing discussion with them like once a month we kind of have a, a chat with them and say hey uh, you know what's going well, what's not going so well. What, what? How can we do? How can we make this better for you? And having that as part of an ongoing discussion, you sometimes get less of a reactionary response if something has just gone live that was terrible, and then you're like, "Yeah, we we all know it went badly, but you know, yeah. help help us help us
1: here." Yeah, um, I also um, you know, if if the client ever like during the the project sends an email where there where they say something like that was great or something. I, I yeah. keep those in this special folder. Um, yeah. I, I do. And any, anything Pray that, yeah. right. um, and I look at them whenever I feel bad. Uh, and that's not a lot. I actually do look at those whenever I feel bad, but I also keep everything that's super critical, um, along the way. So even if, even if it's a bad project, Uh, And I don't want to even ask the client uh, about, you know, something at the end, I can go back to those emails and be able to pull out, obviously, what didn't go well, if it's a bad email or what did go well, you know, so if you if you can't ask your client that you can usually find something if you take good notes or keep good records, you can find out uh, along the way what they thought worked and what didn't work.
0: Good stuff. Well, we're going to end there because we're out of time. But uh, if you want to read through um, the rest of the items on the checklist, uh, head to the digitalprojectmanager.com and you'll find uh, Patrice's article on project closure there. Uh, So, Patrice, thanks so much for joining us. It's been great having you with us today. Thank you. And as one of our DPM experts, Patrice uh, will be making an appearance not only at the Digital PM Summit, but also on our upcoming course that starts in September as well. It's called Mastering Digital Project Management. And if you're not sure what I'm talking about, but you know you need some PM training, check it out. It's a seven-week crash course that includes video lessons. Um, it includes weekly assignments, group discussions, and also the option of coaching sessions too. So head to the dpm at school.com and get yourself signed up before the course fills up. And if you'd like to contribute to the conversation on closing projects better, comment on the post and head to the digitalprojectmanager.com to join our Slack team, head to the resources section there and you'll find all kinds of interesting conversations going on there too. But until next time, thanks for listening.